0: Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, "Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart." You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands.
1: Take out this uh, little artifact that is in your bulletin, this little card. It's an insert. Um, I want to start here this morning because we are in our third week of a series of messages called Our Common Pathway. And uh, when we started this series, I brought to you the idea that one of our great concerns as a church that we want to try to make sure doesn't happen to us is that we put all of this effort into ministry and we are busy and we're doing all of these uh, programs and departments and discipleship. And at the end of the day, the fruit is immature Christians. That's the last thing in the world that we want. Ah, uh, we want to be making disciples of Jesus Christ that are mature, that are equipped, that are on mission for God. And so, uh, knowing that if you don't uh, you know inspect what you expect, then uh, you probably don't arrive where you want to arrive. And so on the back of this uh, on the one side is a list of question marks. And these are questions that we are providing to you as a church. And it's kind of a diagnostic tool that we're hoping that you'll incorporate maybe into your quiet time into your personal worship, where with the Holy Spirit, you will regularly check, where am I at? in my walk with God. This isn't designed for us to you know, peer into your life. This is designed for you to peer into your life with the Holy Spirit, and, and it's very practical questions that touch on important aspects of developing as a follower of Christ. When do I engage with God throughout the day and week? Where can I safely share anything without condemnation? How am I serving and building up others? Who in my life needs to hear and receive the gospel? And what do my calendar and checkbook reveal about my priorities? These are questions that we want to be asking ourselves. But these are also questions that we are using to look at our ministry. So if we think it's important that you have a place where you can safely share what's going on in your life free from condemnation, do we have an environment set up in our church where that can actually occur? And of course, this guides much of what we do. And last week, uh, when uh, Brian brought the message about growing, and we talk about our discipleship ministry, our goal is for you to be able to have an environment where you can go and where you can live authentically and you can carry out that value that we have as a church. You can connect with other people and you can share your victories and your defeats and what's going on in your life free of condemnation. So, corresponding to these question marks, we're asking the question, where in our church can you go to help see this come about through the work of the Holy Spirit? And so when we talk about now this common pathway, the other side of this card, this, these two things begin to come into corresponding you know, relationships. If worship is important to us, and obviously in our pathway it is, it's in a very central uh, place of prominence, we have to have an environment that we are putting together for our church, both corporately, and we're equipping you to do the same thing privately through the week, where this question mark of engaging with God throughout the day and the week can actually be carried out. And so last week was grow and this pathway, and this morning we're looking at the idea of serving. How am I serving and building up others? Now, I want you to put this away and I want you to take your communication card out. The communication card that you have hopefully already filled out on the one side but hopefully you did not fill out on the other side unless you were that type of student who always got your homework done well ahead of time, way before the deadline. You've already done it, but most of you probably have not, I hope. Because I want to walk you through it. I'm going to ask you to check on the other side of the card everything that applies to you. You may have more than one thing here that applies to you. And so if you would, would you... Um, check these boxes, okay? Next, I don't actually have my bulletin. Hopefully the questions I have in my notes are similar to what you have there, but they're divided in really into three kind of uh, uh, groups. So check the first one if it's true. I'm new to Covenant Church. I'm checking it out. If I settle here, I will get involved and serve my church family. If that describes you and your hope and intention, check that one. Secondly, I participate in a ministry of Covenant Church and regularly serve the body with my time and talents. In other words, you're on a ministry team, you're engaged. This isn't, a, just so we're clear, this isn't once a year, bring a casserole to a dinner, and now I'm done for the year. No, you are, you're not. that's not important. But no, you are regularly involved in the ministry in some way where you're serving one another. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's in first impressions. It might be a small group leader. It may be on the worship team. But on a regular basis, you're serving the body of Christ to build up our church. Okay? Thirdly, I've attended Covenant Church for a while, but I have not yet engaged at that point of regular ministry participation, but I would like to do so in the future. Okay? Uh, Check that box if that's where you're at. Perhaps you haven't found a place of ministry and you need help there, okay? So maybe when you check that box, right out to the side, help, and put an exclamation point, and, and we will help you. And finally, the last two, in the area where I serve, I generally feel equipped and supported, and in the area where I serve, I generally do not feel equipped and supported. Now, those are hard questions, and we want you to be honest, because the staff and the elders and deacons, we need this feedback, so that we are able to to shape what we're going to be doing in the upcoming ministry year. If a large number of you say, I want to be involved, but I don't feel equipped to do so, then this gives us some guidance and marching direction. So we're we're asking you to please give us this feedback so that we can be a stronger and a healthier church that is actually doing ministry that is targeted to your needs and to where you are in life. So if you will mark that down, if you want to make a comment, like if you don't feel equipped, and and you have an idea of how to be better equipped, please put that down. We want your feedback. We will take this very, very seriously, I promise you. Now, regardless of your answers this morning, the story of Moses in um, Exodus chapter four, and you're gonna drop those uh, communication cards in the offering plate in a little bit, Um, This story of Moses, it encourages us to realize that God can bring about a great work. He can use all of us to bring about a great work. Uh, This passage, it describes the kind of person that God delights in using to build his kingdom. And what I want you to see this morning is just this basic concept that God delights in using the obedient and ordinary person to accomplish his extraordinary eternal plans. That's what we see in this passage with Moses. We see several things, right? Right off the bat, God uses the insignificant and ordinary to do his work. Now, the context of Exodus 4 is this, Moses has met God in the desert before the burning bush and God tells him I've heard the pleas of my people in Egypt And I have decreed that you are going to go to Egypt and you are going to help free my people And so of course when Moses heard that message, he said sign me up God. I'm your man Not at all in fact when you begin to read chapter 3 he starts giving excuse after excuse he says, who am I, God, to do this? In other words, um, Lord, you got the wrong guy. That's what he's saying. You got the wrong guy. And, and then he, he says to him, he asks another question. He says, all right, Lord, you're saying I'm the right guy, but who am I, I going to tell them that has sent me? And then how am I going to prove that you actually have sent me and that I'm not a con man I'm not a charlatan they're not going to believe me that I've heard from the great I am, the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob not at all they're not going to believe me. And this is what brings us to Exodus chapter 4. and it starts out we see this this basic truth that God uses the insignificant and the ordinary. He says you're not going to believe you? the Lord says, what's that in your hand? So now here's Moses, he's been asking question after question to God, and now God replies with a question. What is that in your hand? And Moses replies, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran away from the snake. See, right away that shows you that Moses was absolutely the right guy to take on this task because a smart person runs away from snakes, right? and then chops its head off. Verse four, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. He says, I'm doing this toward you so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God uses the insignificant and the ordinary. And this is the the message of Scripture. Sometimes it's insignificant, ordinary, inanimate objects. In this passage, it's a staff, a glorified big stick. In other portions in the Bible, it's a slingshot or it's the jawbone of a donkey, or it's a little boy's lunch. One of my favorite stories, it's a cold glass of milk and a tent state. If you don't know what that story is, look it up, right? Great story. Or it's a very common symbol of capital punishment and execution, a Roman cross. The Bible is full of God using insignificant, ordinary, everyday, inanimate objects to accomplish his will and using animate objects, people, to do his work, right? He uses fishermen and children and housewives and teachers. He uses adulterers and criminals and businessmen and shepherds he uses the elderly and the young. He uses carpenters. God actually even uses politicians. Yes, politicians to accomplish his work. God uses ordinary, seemingly insignificant people and resources to accomplish his kingdom work. Back in 1855, he used A regular, ordinary Sunday school teacher. The man's name was Edward. And Edward taught at a congregational church in Boston, Massachusetts. And a young man came into his class one day. He's 18 years old. He taught the, the older teenagers and the young adults men's class. And this young man comes in, and the only reason why he's in this class is because he had moved to Boston to live with his uncle to work in his shoe store. And the deal was because the guy had been getting in so much trouble that if you come live with me and work for me, you have to go to church every week or deals off and you're out. And so the young man abided by the deal. He decided, you know, I'll go attend this uh, Sunday school class. He gets there. He's handed a Bible. He's told to open to the book of John. He had no idea where the book of John was. He was embarrassed. Some of the other students kind of snickered a little bit, but a glance from the teacher silenced him. And the teacher took his open Bible, and he walked over. He says, hey, why don't you use mine? Let me have that one. I've already got it. And the young man said that simple act of kindness, where he was freed from embarrassment, he said, if this guy will do this for me, he might be all right. And he kept coming back week after week. One day, Edward Kimball decided that the Lord had impressed upon his heart to go and visit with this student. And so he goes down and he's making his way to his place of business at that shoe store, and he knows the guy's got rough edges, right? He only had a fifth grade education. He, he was pretty boisterous, pretty brash, and in, he would be that way all of his life. Couldn't read very well, could, definitely could not write and spell, his grammar was atrocious. And he gets there and he's so nervous about going in and visiting with him, he just walks right on by the shop door. And finally, he works up the courage. He goes in, and thankfully, Dwight was all by himself, and so he walks back to the back, and as Dwight would later say, he says, I don't remember anything he'd said that day. I just remember he put his foot up on a shoebox, and he put his hand upon my shoulder, and his eyes were filled with tears, as he told me my sin was going to condemn me and send me into an eternity fit for devil himself if I didn't repent. Because the weight of his hand upon my shoulder I felt for several days to come and I was so moved by the fact that he was crying and teared up over my sin and my soul and if he was that concerned for my sin and my soul, shouldn't I be? And a couple of weeks later, He confesses Christ as Jesus' Lord, and their friendship would stand for decades, well into the time where Dwight would become known as D.L. Moody, the most famous evangelist of the 19th century, the first man in recorded history that is credited with a million people professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as a result of his ministry. God took an ordinary, they run-of-the-mill, everyday member of a church, and from that worked a great work for the kingdom. Why does God work this way? Why does He do it like this? Why does He pick somebody obscure like Edward Kemble to change the trajectory of the Midwest of the United States and nations in Europe for for two and three and four generations? Why does He work like this? The Bible tells us in the Book of Corinthians, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish. In other words, God chose the ordinary things of this world. He chose them to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human, no human being, might boast in the presence of God. Why does God work through insignificant and ordinary people, by worldly terms, insignificant and ordinary people? an insignificant and ordinary means. Why does he work like this? The answer is very simple. To demonstrate how powerful he actually is. To get the glory that he alone deserves. You know, Moses, he thought he could not be used by God. And Moses was absolutely wrong. He was wrong. And you may think that you cannot be used by God. By worldly standards, you may not be rich and powerful. You may be very ordinary in the normal terms of the expressions. You may not be a world shaker. You may never set up on a stage and have the spotlight. You may never have a million likes on your Instagram or followers. You may not even know how to log in to Instagram, and that might be a good thing. But the truth is, by God's standards, it's not the world standards that matter. It's, by, it's God's standards that matter. And by his standards, you are rich. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ himself. And you are powerful. You have God himself, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. And you are gifted because that spirit has given you spiritual gifts that you can use for the glory of the kingdom of God. And it's his will that you join with him. And you allow him to use a bunch of ordinary people in Palm Bay, Florida, to do an extraordinary work that he demonstrates his power through. God uses insignificant and the ordinary. Secondly, God uses the inadequate and the insecure. Verse 1, Moses answered to this call, behold, They will not believe me nor listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And God answers this insecurity. And then in verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And verse 13, Moses replies, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? Because it gets to the real nub of what many of us feel in our hearts. And how many of us maybe respond to our God. Please, son, somebody else. You know, from a human perspective, Moses was justified in throwing out all these excuses. I mean, the guy was 80 years old, right? He was a wanted man. He had a criminal past, and he had some form of a physical handicap, perhaps with his speech or whatever it may be, unless he was just completely making up a bogus excuse. But taking him at his word, he had several black marks against him that most ministry teams when be thinking of which volunteers do we recruit, he's not at the top of the list. And yet God says, no, you're my man. You know, church, insecurity, it leads to fear. Feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, they lead to fear, and the fear leads to inactivity. Have you ever sat on the sidelines of God's work because of fear, because of feeling like I cannot do it, I'm not the right person, because of feelings of insecurity, because of feelings of inadequacy, and these things lead to fear? I want you to know something this morning. Victory over crippling feelings of fear, of inadequacy, of insecurity, it is possible, victory over these kinds of things is possible it starts with believing what god has said about you that that is true it starts right there believing that what god has said about you is actually true and what has god said about you he says through the apostle paul that we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're told there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. God's word makes it clear. He has spoken into our lives, right? He chose us before the foundations of the world for salvation, and he chose us before the foundations of the world for service. He ordained that we would be one of his children, and he's ordained that we will be one of his servants. He has decreed that we will spend all of eternity with him in glory, and he has decreed, that we will serve him and we will bring about manifestations of his power and glory in this world. That's what God has said about us. So sitting on the sidelines, paralyzed by fear or feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, this is not who we are in Jesus Christ. This is not why we were redeemed. Victory over these types of feelings. It it starts with believing what God says about you and not believing your emotions. The emotions will lie to you. They will misguide you. Your emotions will cause you to miss out on the work of God that he would do through you. Victory begins by believing what God says about you, not what your emotions say about you, not what those those messages that were drilled into your mind and into your heart as you were growing up that were negative. It, It starts by not listening to that, but listening to what God says. It starts by listening to what he has decreed, not to those whispers, sometimes those screams that the enemy It's putting into your ear. Why do you think the devil would whisper in your ear, you're not the right person for that, you can't do that. Why do you think he's doing that? Do you think he's doing that for your good? Of course not. So victory begins by believing what God says about you, that that's true, and then, by grace, you appropriate God's grace, and you begin taking steps of faith. For me, that step of faith, the very first step is often repentance. I have to repent. I have to repent of the inner idolatries that have captured my heart, that have captured my affections, that have captured my attention that I give my energy to, that I give my resources, that I give my life to instead of the calling, the work that God would have me to do. And so it starts for me, an act of faith, that taking a step of faith is to believe what God says and to repent of my false idolatries, my false beliefs that lead to fear. The scriptures tell us in 2 timothy one that god has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of a sound mind where does this fear come from that wells up within us i find i have to repent of my fear because of a false belief church emotions come from belief and an emotion of fear It's coming from a belief, and it is a false belief. And what is that false belief? Oftentimes, it is a false belief that is linked directly to pride. So often, at least in my life, my fear is rooted in pride. Well, what will people think about me? What if I fail? What if I don't do it right? What will people say? You know what if I get embarrassed right all these types of inner messages that are playing to your fear but what is behind that fear it is pride the pride of life the Apostle John says and that's why for me I find one of the very first steps of faith is actually repentance for these types of things I have to repent because my fear is rooted in pride, or my fear is rooted in unbelief. I don't accept about myself what Jesus says about me. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You're looking at me like, boy, Jerry, you're really messed up. So maybe I'm the only one here this morning that has this issue, but for me, this is what it looks like to practically appropriate God's grace and take a step of faith. It includes persistently praying and asking God for help and support. It it includes trusting the promises of God that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It includes taking, taking a step of faith for you this morning might be to write on that communication card just a simple word, help. I don't know what to do. You want to be involved, but you don't know where to start. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's, I I don't have the talents. I don't have the gifts. Where can I plug in? What can I do for God? Just write the word help. Take a step of faith this morning. Write the word help down, and we'll take it from there. We have deacons and elders and staff members who can come alongside of you, and taking a step of faith isn't coming alongside of you and pitching you into the deep end of the pool. I did my, brother's sermon, did my brother's funeral yesterday, and, and as I was telling stories about you know, why I was so fortunate to survive my childhood because of him, uh, one of the examples I gave was when I was five years old, we went to this lake up in Kingsley Lake is a place where everybody went in the summertime and they had huge platforms. They had 15 footers and 30 footers and 50 footers, right? And you could jump off these things into 12 foot of water, crystal clear, beautiful lake. And I'm five years old and my mom tells my brother to take me out and, and let me you know, play in the water. So what does he do? He's eight years older than me. This is why parents do not trust your little children to junior high boys. He took me to the end of the dock. He took me to the 30 foot platform and he pitched me off. Threw me right into the water. And I didn't know how to swim. I learned, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, but we won't do that to you in our church. You know, taking a step of faith and writing, hey, help, I want to be involved. We can bring you in and when we work with you and when you find something that you're interested in, we'll team you up with someone who's more experienced so you can learn the ropes and you can get equipped. We can train you. This is what it looks like to take a step of faith. From a human perspective, Moses may have been totally justified in feeling insecure feeling inadequate, but God, church, is greater than our insecurities and our inadequacies. God, he delights in using people who feel inadequate, who feel insecure. God uses insignificant and ordinary means. He uses the inadequate and the insignificant, and finally, God uses the surrendered and the obedient So Moses in verse 18 goes to his father-in-law and he gives him his two weeks notice. He gets his blessing from his father-in-law, which is always a good thing to get. And then in verse 20, what do we find? So Moses took his wife and his sons and he had them ride on a donkey and he went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You know, this story of Moses... It's a beautiful example of God's grace. He took a man who was hiding in the desert, whose life by all normal standards was washed up. He took this man... He swept away all of his excuses and all of the reasons that he gave. He took, he discarded them. He brought him out of the desert. He reunited him with his brother, with his sister, with his family, who he'd been separated from. And then he ends up putting him before the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time, and he uses him to deliver his people from the bondage of slavery. Talk about a turnaround life. And that same Moses, he would prophesy in the Pentateuch that God was going to repeat that story in the centuries to come, and he did. 1,400 years later, the second Moses, God sends Jesus who takes on flesh. And like the Israelites of old, as a baby, he sends him to Egypt to find his deliverance from those who wanted his life. And when the appointed time was done there, he brings him out of Egypt back to his promised land. And then before he lets him begin his public ministry, like Moses and the Israelites, he puts him in the desert for a season of temptation and trial and tribulation. And then God takes this circuit Moses, Jesus. And he puts him before the most powerful political kingdom of his age. Why? In order to deliver us, God's people. Not from the bondage of physical slavery, from the bondage of spiritual slavery, from sin and from death. And the writer of Hebrews says Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Jesus Christ. Christ was obedient, and God, through Christ's obedience, is making all things new. So what does that have to do with us this morning? So what? Well, for some of you this morning, this second man, Jesus, is the one that you need to look to for deliverance from your slavery and bondage to sin and death. You're looking for answers. You came into this church perhaps this morning wanting answers to those things that are going on into your life. And the answer is not from pop psychology or from more toys or for the things that this world may offer. The answer comes from this person, Jesus, who gave his life for the sins of his people, who promises to deliver you from the grip, from the penalty, and from the power of sin and bring freedom into your life. So for some of us here this morning, the so what is this It's time to follow the Messiah, Jesus, to receive him as your Lord, to confess your need, and to begin to worship him. But for many of us here, we're Christians. So I would ask, where are you at? How are you this morning? Are you the the Moses hiding in the desert, making excuses? not engaging for what any number of reasons? Or are you the Moses who's experiencing the presence of God in your life, the power of God, and he's using you to do a work for his kingdom? Which Moses are you this morning? Obedient servanthood. Obedient servanthood makes us part of something that is eternally epic. It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning in our lives. It actually, the writer of Hebrews says, or a little later from the passage I read, it actually helps us in our battle against sin. Because it grows us up when we serve one another and we serve the Lord, what begins to happen is the Holy Spirit gets more and more control. We get more and more experience with him being in our lives, and that makes saying no to the temptations of this world actually become a little easier. The benefits of serving God and serving one another for the glory of God, they are countless So Christian, which Moses are you? Let me end by asking you the question that started this passage that God asked Moses. Christian, what is in your hand that God would use for his glory to build his kingdom? What is in your hand that you can lay down and have God use for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture. I thank you for the great number of people in our church who are already serving. Lord, I think of the the many men and women who are here on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights with our youth the men and women and young people who, they, they go over into Covenant Cove and they worship with them and they help disciple and lead our children in worship on Sunday mornings or who help love on little children in our Sunrise Island or are simply stand out in that parking lot and they ensure that everyone gets a smile. And visitors get loved on and treated with dignity and respect because we love newcomer, and we love the one who's with us worshiping on a regular basis. Lord, we have so many. Covenant is working because so many of the people here at Covenant work, and they know what it's like to serve. I thank you for that. I thank you for the service that takes place through our discipleship groups and how we support one another. Would you continue to foster this in our church? May may you show all of us just the joy that comes through surrendering our lives to you, and being part of something that is so much grander and bigger than anything else that we can do here on earth. Make us a people, Lord Jesus, that are willing to give it all away, give ourselves completely away and over to you so that your name would be magnified here in Brevard County and around the world. Pour out your grace among us in this way, I
0: ask.